All right, folks, are you ready? We're winding down. We only have a couple Sundays left of the Psalm Songs series, right? So this is where we take some sort of song that's probably familiar to you, and we link it to a psalm. And just trust me when I say this one's going to put a smile on your face. Sing along. Bob Seger or anything like that, but still um, one of my uh, favorite songs that I wanted to do. And while this is called Psalm Songs, and the idea is to connect uh, a sermon to a song that maybe bounces around in your head or on your um, car stereo or maybe at home when you're you know reminiscing about being 18 or something, um, this is one of those ones that uh, is going to get connected to a proverb. So this is like uh, song proverbs today um, because I did I, you know a couple of weeks ago I started seeing a theme showing up on social media in people's lives and. As I was anticipating the message today, um, I felt like the Lord was saying, hey, do this message and do this message about um, friendship. And, and what does that mean? That probably was one of Walt Disney's um, greatest songs of all time from their movies that they've got. It won a, a, an Academy Award in 1995. It won, won a uh, Golden Globe Award in 1995, both for best original songs. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, my kids were raised on Walt Disney and you know ah, there was that one Tarzan show that had Phil Collins okay so Randy Newman Phil Collins Randy Newman Phil I, it, for me it, you know Phil Collins pushes it because we had the CD and we listened to it everywhere we went this song however has a nice uh, a story to it absolutely amazing in this um, um, music uh, excuse me movie series 
Buzz and Woody fight, they bump heads, they disagreed, they had timeouts, but they still remained friends. And when I look at this, the lyrics in this song, it is very clear to me that Randy Newman, the writer of this song, knows something about friendship. He says, look, when the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed, you remember what I said. You've got a friend. I'm going to be there for you. If you've got troubles, don't worry. I've got troubles too. Everybody has troubles, okay? But there isn't anything that I wouldn't do for you. We will stick together and we can see it through. And in the last verse he says, um, some folks might be bigger and smarter, but none of them are going to love you like I do, boy. Um, as our, the years go by, our friendship will never die. You're going to see it's our destiny. And I absolutely love that. I love looking at this thing. I love the way he talks about friends. Um, and so our verse today is from the book of Proverbs, chapter 18. Um, and I'm just going to use one verse, and I want to launch into the idea of having a friend. What does it mean for you to have a friend, okay? In Proverbs 18, verse 24, uh, 24 it says, A man of many companions may come to ruin. Now you know what that means, right? You can have a lot of plastic friends. You can have a lot of people around you because you're somebody or you've got something or you drive something or you've got the boat or, or you've got the camp or whatever. You might be a person that has a lot of people around you, just like the prodigal son did, while he had money. But you get into a tight spot, you get into a difficult situation, and suddenly nobody's there, and you wonder what happens. And I've seen some people, even, even um, as, uh, as, as near as yesterday, saying, wow, uh, I don't see anybody who claims to be my friend now that I'm in this situation, and they don't say what the situation is. Let, let, me, let me just share with you something, okay? Social media is not the place to do that, okay? Don't, don't do that on social media, okay? It, I, I'm, I'm going to say something, and I don't mean to be mean. I really don't mean to be mean. It just kind of makes you look needy and not good. Don't do that, okay? If, if you don't have good friends around you, I love you, but you picked bad friends, you wanted to look like them, you wanted to act like them, you wanted to go where they go, you wanted to do what they would do so that they would like you and make you feel really, really important. And Randy Newman is saying, hey, in his song, there are people around you that will be really good friends and they will be there through thick and thin. But Solomon is saying as he writes to his son in the book of Proverbs, there's going to be people around you that pretend. And you need to know that. But then he goes on to say, but there is a friend that is closer than a brother. And I don't know about you, but, but I know that. When you think of a friend that might be closer than a brother, who is a friend that is closer? I mean, maybe you're an only child, so this isn't going to relate to you. But, but you've got a brother. You've got a sister, right? You're, you're a girl, and you've got a brother. You're a guy, and you've got a brother. And you're good friends with your brother. Maybe you're adults now, and you hang out, and you know each other, whatever. But, but you've got a friend that is closer to a brother. What does that mean to you when you hear that and you think, wow, is that true? Who is the friend that you could call on right now? Not like, oh, my life is crashing, but you know, you just need something, and, and, and you need to call. I, my brother and I are close. <laughs> I saw something on uh, uh, eBay the other day, and I thought, I, I think I need that. And I was looking at what the shipping was going to be, and I thought, hmm, that's going to be, you know, a little pricey or whatever. And all of a sudden, I realized it was, you know, it was in Grand Prairie, Texas, and he's over there in Fort Worth, Texas. And I called him, and I said, hey, what are you doing? And we talked for 45 minutes, because, you know, you got to smooth it out first and before you ask for something. And then I said, hey, bye. And he goes, so what are you doing? I said, calling you to ask you to do me a favor. He said, whatever it is, what do you need? 
And I said, I need you to grand, go over to Grand Prairie to this address, and I need you to pick this up for me and ship it to me. And he said, man, it's only 10 minutes from my shop. He owns his own business. He said, it's only 10 minutes from my shop. I'll go get it right now. And then I heard my, my nephew, Luke, walk in, and he goes, Luke, where is this address? And Luke tells him, and, and he goes, take this much money. And Luke's handing him the money. He goes, no, 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 you keep it. I'm sending you. I'm not going to go do it. You work for me. And so he sent him over to do it, and that's a, that's a brother. That, I mean, we're tight. But I've got friends that are actually closer than a brother as well. Famous best friends. When I say that phrase, who comes to mind? Famous best friends. Yeah. How about these guys? Sam Wise and Frodo. Famous best friends. You've got that friend that says, I'm coming with you. Where are you going? They don't say, where are you going? I'm coming with you. They say, I'm coming with you. Where are you? I'm going to go to hell and drop this ring in the fire, and it's going to melt up, and the devil's going to die. That's the, that, that, that's the metaphor of the whole book, okay? I just gave it to you. And, and, and Frodo, I mean, Samwise is like, well, I'm coming too? We're gonna, that's a friend. Um, from, my, from my youth, from my growing up days, this is a friendship. Snoopy and Woodstock. I mean, wherever Snoopy was, there was Woodstock. Wherever Woodstock was, Snoopy, Snoopy was going to end up in the picture. And then from the TV that we raised our kids on, from Sesame Street, there's Statler and Waldorf. I didn't even know their names until I had to look it up. But they're two grumpy old guys. They're always banging heads against each other, but collectively they're going to ridicule whoever's on stage. Okay, of course, there is Woody and Buzz today. Okay, miles and miles, you know, through like, what, 25 um, different movies now. I don't know how many, TV shows and everything else. They've kind of overdone it, but in the first two, it was great, and it was wonderful. And then, yes, today, we're talking about David and Jonathan. Absolutely. We, we look at David and Jonathan today, and we see what this story is going to be about. Here is a friend that sticks closer to, uh, excuse me, that is closer to him than a brother. And I love this story. If we look at that, uh, that picture, and it's like everybody's got an idea of what it is that's going on there. But let me just read this passage from um, 1 Samuel 18. And then we're going to talk about the setup. I'm going to get a little teachy, not quite so preachy, um, because there's some things that we need to know. And we're going to look down through this story. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, beginning at verse 1, the Scripture says, After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as his self. Okay, a friend that is closer than a brother. He loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic, even his sword and his bow and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that um, Saul gave him a high rank in the army, and this pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. And so what you've got is a picture of, of, of David and Jonathan's relationship um, being expressed. It did not begin in chapter 18. That is not where it began. It began long before that, okay? But finally, at this place in chapter 18, um, um, it's expressed to you and I that they loved each other as themselves and that they were closer than a brother. And you think, well, why did he give him his, his tunic and his cloak and his sword and his bow and his shield? Well, what's that all about? This was a time in Israel's history when they did not have military weapons. Okay, the Philistines were, were kind of occupying the area and they were trying to be a people group and they were having to fight with them, but the Philistines saw to it that they did not have weapons. Okay, um, in verse, uh, excuse me, chapter 13, five chapters before this, the scripture reads this way from Samuel's account. 
Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords and spears. So all of Israel went to the Philistines to have their plow points, mattocks, axes, and sickles sharpened. The price was two-thirds of a shekel for sharpening the plow points and mattocks and a third of a shekel for sharpening forks, axes, and repointing goads. Goads are those sticks that have little metal points on them that you used to poke um, cattle with to move them along. If they wouldn't go in the chutes and things like that, you just give them a poke. Now we use what's called hot shots on the farm. My wife was raised on the farm, and so what they did was they had these battery-operated tasers. Okay, long before the law enforcement had tasers, the farming community was using tasers successfully, and, and it was pretty awesome, okay? Um, we played and hurt, with each, hurt each other horribly with them on the farm, but we lived to tell about it. So that's what's going on. In chapter 13, they tell you they've got no weapons whatsoever. In chapter 18, you have a picture of, of Jonathan giving David his armor, his sword, his bow, his shield, his cloak, and, uh, and his, um, uh, his undergarment there as well. Not, not his underwear, but his, his shirt. And so you've got that picture and you think, that's why. Because the Philistines are coming at them with, with chariots and swords and spear. And they're, they're kind of fighting back with pitchforks and, and, and scythes and shovels and things like that. Except the king and his son. They actually had shields and stuff. So for Jonathan... To give this shield to David was a big step because his father also would have known that that robe and that cloak belonged to Jonathan and now David's wearing it. That sword and shield and, and bow, if he had it to, to be seen, also belonged to his son. So you've got something bigger than just reading through it on a Sunday morning in catechism or in Sunday school going on right here where I learned it. It's like, wow, what is this all about? And, and so here he gives all of this um, weaponry to a kid with a sling and some stones. He says, you can do this. Now, this is how their relationship began to unfold. We heard a sermon a couple of weeks ago about how um, King Saul, or the, excuse me, the children of Israel wanted to be like all the other nations, and so they wanted a king, and so King Saul got to, to, to be the guy, and God said, fine, fine, you want to reject me? I'll give you a king. He's going to be Saul. He's going to subjugate you guys, and that's the way it's going to be. Filled him with the Holy Spirit. There's, there's something to be noticed here as a, as a caveat. Um, wanting to be like everybody else is an incredibly deceitful trap because you will never be like everybody else. It won't happen. You can be accepted by people, but the idea of I want to be like everybody else, it is absolutely not going to happen. And this is what will happen. When you spend your life trying to be like everybody else, when you want to fit into that group and you want to fit into them and, 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 and you want to do this, you, you, start, you start acting like them. And if they're mean people, they start telling the, the wrong kind of jokes. They start being mean to the wrong people, well, to anybody. And, and they start thinking that this little group is our group and everybody should stay out. And we want in that group. And this is what happens. You lose your identity. You lose your identity. You were not created to be like everybody else. You were created to be you. And now listen, we're born sinners and we need Jesus. We need the blood of the Lamb to forgive us from our humanity and the way we live it out. But the fact of the matter is, the more you try to be like somebody else, the more you will fall into an incredibly deceitful trap and it eventually will choke you and you don't want to be there. So we're looking at this story. And in 1 Samuel 15, God gives him a king, and it's Saul, and, and Saul ends up, um, take, uh, the, the God takes the, spirit of, of the Holy Spirit away from Saul because he wasn't obedient. He didn't wait for Samuel. 
He did something that he was not allowed to do. He was not a prophet. He was not a priest. He was not allowed to make the sacrifice before they went into the war. And so the Holy Spirit left him. Think on that just a little bit. Do you really think that if you step outside of the boundaries of what God is asking you to do, that he will not spank your bottom? I do not believe that God is looking for a reason to send you to hell. I do not believe that at all. But I also know that when things are going to crash in Joe Wood's life and my behind feels a little sore, that I back up and I say, Lord, what am I doing wrong? What did I do wrong? What do I need to apologize for? Because I'm just a sinner. Please forgive me. And I need to back up. And listen, I can point my finger at everybody that I want to, but nine times out of ten, I sinned and I made a bad choice. And I want to blame everybody else, and I don't get to. I've got to stop and say, wow. And so Saul made a bad choice. So fast forward one chapter. 1 Samuel 16, David is anointed the new king of Israel by the prophet Samuel. David gets a part-time job at the same time playing a guitar in the, in the palace. Now, back then they called it a lyre, L-Y-R-E, and it's a stringed instrument, okay? So we'll just liken it to a guitar today. And so he gets anointed king over there by Samuel, but then the, the King Saul is having really bad migraines and stuff because an evil spirit's on him. But when David plays worship music for the king, the evil spirit goes away. There's something to be learned from that. Worship music. God inhabits the praises of his people. The more we testify, the less the devil has to do with us. So we move forward. David is spending part-time job in the palace. Chapter 17 shows up. David comes in from watching the sheep, kills a great big giant with a rock, not really, just kills him with the rock, knocks him down with the rock, pulls the giant sword out, hacks his head off just to make sure. Carries his head back to Jerusalem. That had to stink. Okay? Woo! All right. Then later on in chapter 17, David stays present in the king's service, but the king is getting very jealous of David. He sees this relationship. He sees things going on. Everybody likes him more than me, and it starts getting ugly. And the king Saul starts attempting to kill King David. He's not in the throne, but he's already been anointed. And, and you'll, you'll know that he was anointed, but even Samuel, who anointed him, said, do you, are you sure you want me to do this? King Saul will kill me. And David got anointed, but he said, we'll wait till God removes Saul. I will not remove Saul from the throne. We will wait till that happens. And so then Saul's son decides to be his best friend. The today's scripture is not a passage, and, and this is one of the things I, I just want to share with you. I've seen this passage twisted and twisted and twisted that David loved Jonathan as himself, Jonathan loved David as himself, um, that there is a friend that is closer to you to a brother, and this proves that they were gay. And I need to tell you that is some of the worst, most awful theology that I've ever heard in my life, and that is twisting that totally out of context. Absolutely, totally out of context. Once again, I have friends that are closer to me than a brother. I have friends that my wife said, be careful what you say around them. They have a gun and they will shoot that person for, just because they love you. And it's like, okay, so I have to be careful what I say around them. And then I've got friends that I promise you right now, if I picked up the phone, they would travel five miles, they would travel 250 miles, my brother included. If I said something was going on I needed you for, they would come over a thousand miles and be here by tomorrow morning. I've got friends that will do that. Having a friend that close is incredibly important to you. And I have no problem whatsoever as a grown adult male who's heterosexual saying, I love you to James Livy, saying, I, I love you to Jeff. Um, and there's often people that will say, I love you to me on the way back, like, I, I love you, you forgot to say that to me. And they're grown adult men. 
And it's like, wow, I kind of got them hooked on doing that with me now. Um, all I'm saying is it doesn't mean I'm inappropriate. It doesn't mean I'm missing the Lord's plan. And I've got no rock to throw at, at people um, struggling with homosexuality. None whatsoever. I will walk with you to the kingdom of God forever. I will. Um, our goal is to extend love, compassion, and mercy, and just like God did me, come away from that nasty, wicked sexual immorality, Joe, and come into my kingdom, and you need to stop that. He does it to all of us, and that's the point here. I just want to make this point that this is a friendship that is born in its purity. Do you have a friend like that? Do you have a friend that will sacrifice for you like that? Because this is what I want to share with you this morning. This is what I believe that the Lord wants me to share. Because what we want is we want a friend. And I keep watching people that are so lonely. And you were not created to be alone or to be lonely. God said, and when he was talking to Peter, when Peter testified, you are the Christ, he said, this was not revealed to you except through the Holy Spirit. And he said, upon this confession of faith, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church. So God is going to blend us together, raise the steeple, open a door, see all the people. Okay, that's what he's going to do. We were created to be together. It is actually why this whole um, um, quarantine thing is killing us. Okay, it, it, it's not just killing us virus-wise. There are people, we're watching suicide rates increase, we're watching child suicide rates increase. It is getting incredibly different, uh, difficult, and that's not being reported. But if you were not created to live in a box by yourself ever, you were created to live in a community, and it is so important right now that we be in touch with people that we know and people that we love and see if they are doing okay. It's very important that we do that because they are our friends. We are a community. And so I ask you again, do you have a friend like, do you know how to get a friend? How do you get a friend like David has with Jonathan? It's not like you can just slap your mask on and run into Walmart and say, hey, listen, you got friends on sale. What aisle do I find a friendship like David and Jonathan? I need that. And, you know, two for one. Or maybe it's a wicked sale. It's like $4.99 okay, or two for five or ten dollars, you know, and it's like, well, that's not much of a sale, really, you know, and, and you look at it, but do you have that? Because this really is what I believe that it takes for you to have a friend that is closer than a brother. First of all, we have to understand that friendship is based in sacrifice. I don't know if you've ever processed that out in your head. You want a friend, maybe you're a lonely person and you've tried and you've tried and you've tried. The most important thing, first of all, is for you to be yourself and then to be aware of how you interact with people. But at the end of the day, you need to be you and you need to understand that having a friend that is closer than a brother, a biblical, solid, just like Jesus, friend, takes um, sacrifice. And first of all, it's a sacrifice of time. According to Faith in the Word website, there's four stages to friendship. I saw all kinds of different people posting all kinds of different stages. What does it mean to have a friend? And here we go. What does it look like? There's the acquaintance stage. That's just somebody you meet at the door passing through the church. Somebody you met because of somebody else. Hey, I want to introduce you to my friend. You never meet him again. And, and there you are. Then there's the casual friendship stage. Somebody that you see on occasion, maybe somebody that you work with, somebody that you're on team with, maybe you uh, serve uh, here in church with them, and, um, and you only see them on Sunday, but you see them, you don't share real deep, but hi, how's the kids, how's your job, things like that going. And then there's a close friendship, and that's somebody that you actually do things with semi-regularly. Now look, each of these, as it keeps adding up, takes time. 
You have to invest time, actual time. You've got to sacrifice time that you've got. So here you've got a close friend that you do things with on a semi-regular basis, and then you've got um, what they call an intimate friendship, and that's somebody that you might say, I would even vacation with those people, you know? I would even go on vacation with those people. I thought about this as I was processing it out, and when, uh, when, I, when my Pastor Janice and I planted this church 11 years ago, <clears throat> we were just getting into the vineyard um, movement, and we had met some pastors that also rode motorcycles, and we, just, we got invited by one of them to go on this motorcycle trip. I met this guy in passing. He was nothing more than an acquaintance. And he just said, hey, you, you got that Harley shirt on. Do you ride a motorcycle? I said, my wife and I like to ride everybody. We're going to go on this trip in the Blue Ridge Parkway. You want to come with us? Just a bunch of pastors getting together. And I thought, pastors who ride motorcycles, th- what could get better? Seriously, you know, church and Harleys all at the same time, okay? Then I found out they let the Hondas come and they let, no, I'm just kidding. Okay. But um, so we went on this trip. I honestly thought, I told my wife, I said, I like this guy. We are going to be such good friends. I never became his good friend. It never went past acquaintance. I know, well, I, I, it went down to casual friendship. I can sit and enjoy and talk and carry on. But what happened is I met somebody on this trip, and our first interaction was a debate that got passionate over worship music over the top of his motorcycle while we were waiting on somebody else to get their tire fixed. And it was like that relationship went deep, 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 deep. It's my friend Bill. We go on vacations together. We travel together. We want a 6,500-mile motorcycle trip together. You have to do that. and like take a whole month to do it. And, and it all started right there in the dealer of the Honda because an acquaintance introduced us and that relationship grew right down these paths and Bill if you're watching still today the argument was over worship music it was not what you said it was it was worship music okay that's what we were talking about if you're watching. okay now I'm back to you guys okay so so this is what we call you know the growth of, of your relationships and so right now you could stop and you could say where are my friends the people that you think are your best friends, think for a second, which one of those four are they really in? Because this is what I need you to understand about having a friend that's closer than a brother. The amount of time invested directly affects the stage of friendship that you find yourself in. The more you invest in the relationship, the deeper that friendship gets. I mean, it's, it's oversimplification, but that's the truth. That's what happens. The other thing you have to sacrifice is it requires, a deep friendship requires a sacrifice of trust. You've got to know, can you trust your friends? Can your friends trust you? Not just running to them at 2 o'clock in the morning, but if they tell you something, can you keep your mouth shut? Are you a gossip? Do you have to tell everybody else out there? Can they trust you with the personal things in their life and to hold those things sacred that they shared with you because you could embarrass, humiliate, or destroy them, but they care or love you enough that they wanted you to know these things? See, it takes a sacrifice of your trust can you hold their confidence will you have their back and will they have your back when something is about to hit them will you say oh I don't know if I should tell them or will you go sit down and say look you're about to get run over I'm giving you a heads up I need to be here with you see they can trust you you're watching them being given somebody's trust is a sacred thing so be careful what you do with it 
I had a friend that uh, I was was pouring into and pouring into and, and he was sharing things with me sharing things with me and then one time uh, I, I got in an interaction with one of his family members and I was trying to defend him trying to protect him and and it that that escalate uh, that that disagreement started escalating and it was one of those listen I know you did this to him and I know this happened and at that point right there I broke the trust because he had shared something with me that was for me he just needed to share it with me. I, on the other hand, wanted to clobber this person that he was related to, and I was trying to defend him, but I had no right to take that step. It was not my step to take. And so at that point, at that point, I had broken the trust. And when you've broken somebody's trust, you might not always get it back. And what it does is it leads us into the next thing, a sacrifice of ego. If you're going to have a friend that is closer than a brother, then you've got to put your ego down. You can't be right all the time. And when I broke that man's trust, it took me a day or two, but I had to put my ego down. And listen, guys, we don't like to put our egos down. We're supposed to be right, and we're supposed to be able to fix it. That, somebody got that into our hearts and our souls. It's in our DNA now. But if we can't fix it, we feel ashamed. And if we're not right, we feel embarrassed. So we better be right, and we better be able to fix it. And, and if we can't, that horse died, we'll bet more money on that horse just to prove that maybe we can. We just got to shut up and say, I can't fix it, and I was wrong. And that's a hard thing to say to a friend. But I had to go to my friend, and I had to cry because I couldn't help it. And I had to ask his forgiveness because I needed to because I had sinned against him, and I wasn't supposed to. But you got to put your ego down if you're going to have a friend that is closer than a brother. You're going to have to do that. We've got to be able to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. As Christian people, we have to be able to re, or be willing to rebuild that relationship. When we say sacrifice ego, at the end of the day, are you trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent? Sounds like the Boy Scouts, doesn't it? <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> I was a Boy Scout as a little kid. Are you that trustworthy? See, if you want a friend that is closer than a brother, then you have to be willing to be a friend that is closer than a brother. But you can't be a friend to try to make them be your friend. You be your friend because that's who their friend because that's who you are. You invite them into your circle. You invite them into your, your table to eat lunch. You invite them um, into the party when you're, you're, you're having a gathering. You invite people. You don't keep your circle of friends closed. There's always room for one more because that's the way Jesus did it. And you might just be surprised that in the midst of all that, somebody that you don't have anything to do with or anything in common with, suddenly they become your deepest and best friend. Suddenly you have a friend that is closer than a brother. Suddenly you have somebody that you can sit with and talk to. But remember, it's not about you always being needy that you go to somebody. A friendship has to be give and take and give and take. When somebody calls you and says, hey, I just was wondering how you're doing, and you list all the things going wrong, and then you say thanks for calling, you've kind of said something to them. You forgot to say, how are you? Tell me how things are going for you. I need to know. How can I pray for you? How can I help you? How can I be there for you? Especially 
in the midst of this quarantine. We have to take care of each other. What kind of friend? What kind of friend are you? Are you the kind of friend that, you know, we've all got some where they just pat you on the back and I don't care if you just went out and shot somebody with your gun and killed them and buried them out back. Some, your friend goes, that, that's what you needed to do. Yeah, I'll just keep that quiet. You, that's okay. You, and that's a metaphor, but you know what I'm talking about. Doesn't matter what you do. They're sitting there patting you on the back saying, yeah, yeah. Or do you have good, solid, honest, closer than a brother friends that will say, listen, you need to go make that right. You need to go have a talk with that person. You need to sit down and work it out. You need to pay it back. You need to give it back. You sinned against them when you gossiped. You need to go apologize to them. See, I want a friend that's closer than a brother, but am I willing to be a friend that will sacrifice to be closer than a brother? And a lot of times we say, hmm, probably not. And that's the only thing that's keeping you from having that friend. And again, I'm not trying to be mean or nasty. It's just you're in your way. You're in your way of one of the greatest gifts God could ever give you, and that's a friend that is closer than a brother because God wants to be there for you. I was preaching this message, and I feel the same unction right now. Um, I had to experience this this week. So it's like whatever I'm studying for, I always get worried because the Lord's preparing me for what I'm going to have to walk through. Uh, so I only want to preach about prosperity and good things. That's, the way, that's what I wanted to walk me through. But sometimes he's got to take us through difficult times. And it's what the Holy Spirit said while I was preaching this morning. He said, some of you know that you need to go make something right. I started preaching this message and a name came to your head, your heart, and you began to say, oh, wow, I hope he doesn't say I need to go do something about that. I, I can't not. When the Holy Spirit says do it, I just got to lay it out there for you. Knowing full well that Jesus said in Matthew 7, if any of you comes to make an offering and knows that there is somebody that has something against you, put your offering down, go make it right, come back and pick your offering up and make your offering. God says relationships are more important than you giving me money, you giving me sheep, you giving me doves you giving me bullocks. It's more important than that. And that's what we have to know. And, then, and Paul, as he wrote to the church in Rome, said, listen, in as much as it lies within you, be at peace with all men. And listen, I just need to let you know, you, everybody's not going to like you. You can go apologize and ask somebody's forgiveness, and they can look you in the eye and say, well, I don't forgive you. I need you to understand this. At the point that you've been obedient to the Word of God, you're clean. You're clean. Whether they forgive you or not, you are forgiven. What happens when they say, I don't forgive you, is they put themselves in a jail that they can't get out of without help from Jesus. But you've done in as much as it lies within you. And so I say, I believe the Holy Spirit is saying that there are people here that need to go sit down and say, hey, you don't, you don't need to go get them to agree with you. You just need to go say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. That's it. You want a friend and you're feeling lonely. Back up and be a friend for somebody else and watch them reciprocate that. But just remember, being that friend and gaining that friend is expensive. It takes sacrifice. 
You just have to decide if it's worth it. I'm telling you, you were created for it, so it's worth it. Let's pray. God, who is God in heaven, we come before you and we thank you that you, Jesus, you said that you uh, are going to call us friend because you are going to reveal everything to us, and that's what a friend does. It shares A friend shares everything. And you've shared everything that your Father gave you when you came down here. God, and we recognize that the writer of the book of Hebrews says that even so, you no longer call us friends, that you're not ashamed to call us brother. Right now, God, I just want a closer than a brother friend in you, even as I've already been adopted into the family. I come to you, God, and I ask your forgiveness. I ask your forgiveness for me. I sin against my friends, when I sin against people that you want to be my friends by not welcoming them or, or letting them come in or, or making them feel important, whatever it might be, God, or just straight up sinning against them because I'm mad at them. And I pray forgiveness on this congregation, God. And I too pray and cry out, come Holy Spirit, descend upon us, restore to us the joy of our salvation as we find ourselves immersed in obedience to your word. Thank you for this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Normally at this time, there would be prayer people standing up here in front of the stage that would love to pray with you. Right now, they're out there at tables, and they would definitely love to pray with you. And you only have to share as much as you want or as little as you want. doesn't matter. That you know God wants you to do something, and you've got to take the next step, and it's on you. And there's no but to it. Keep, keep that out of the conversation. I have sinned. Don't say, but you did. No, stop. No buts. I want to be clean. Please forgive me, God. And God willing, if he can restore that, that relationship, yay, yay. But they're out there. So we're going to go into this worship song. When we're done, they're out there waiting on you. And I'm excited to see what God's about to do in your life.